Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. My guest today, Jonathan Gavoni, ESPN's draft analyst, and on the phone from sunny California, Mike Schmitz. Fellas, how are you? Doing great, Woj. How about yourself? I'm great, but we're going to start with you, Jonathan. Where are you going tonight to scout? Well, I have three Division One programs within walking distance of my house, and mm-hmm. so I'm going to one of them tonight. I'm going to LIU Brooklyn. They're taking on Brown, who has the reigning Ivy League freshman of the year, Desmond Cambridge. So, uh, you know, Friday night, it's a little bit slow. My mom's in town. She's coming <laughs> with me. So uh, I-, I can't wait. Would your Would your mom not rather spend the evening with her grandson? She'd rather go to this game with you, Brown LIU. He goes to sleep at around seven, so the timing works out perfectly. We're gonna, uh, you know, have a bath and then uh, put him down, and then and then walk over and watch LIU. You know, perfect night for me. Uh, Derek Kellogg, hey, listen, that's a good Friday night in my book. You two are insane. What I love is before we even get on air here, like Gavoni is already like probing Schmitz about some D two, some Division two player that Mike saw yesterday and. Jonathan's desperate to know if he's any good. It's it's there's nothing like these two guys. But all right, I want to move past LIU and Division Two basketball uh, to to get to the Division One team at Duke. You were both in Indianapolis the other night to see the Duke debuts of R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson. The broader basketball world was pretty amazed at those two. That the, that team the beating they put on Kentucky. You guys have been scouting these players for a few years. I don't sense you guys are that surprised that these guys together look like they're going to constitute this dominant of a of a college team. No, I mean, there's a reason why both of them are in our top three. Uh, I mean, we've been watching, uh, I mean, I think Schmitz and I were both at Adidas Nations when watching Zion Williamson was 15 and RJ Barrett. We've seen him in FIBA competition forever. And, um, no, but I, I was impressed to see the progress that both of them have made. I mean, you, there's a tendency for guys at this age sometimes to kind of rest on their laurels and, and they're already projected so high and just, you know, I mean, why spend the summer, you know, working out, uh, working on your game? And instead, like, they both have made huge progress. R.J. Barrett's jump shot looked phenomenal. Zion Williams's passing and his ball handling and his defense. And so we knew those guys were good. But, I mean, it was it was a, as emphatic of a statement as I've seen in my 15 years doing this for a first game of the season, opening night um, against Kentucky, to just – beat them the way they did, you know, to score 100 points with seven minutes left on the clock, worst loss in John Calipari's career. Uh, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And we were kind of looking at each other at some point in the second half. We're like, uh, were we were we hoping that this would be a little bit closer? Maybe, yeah. But, I mean, geez, uh, sometimes uh, watching a beatdown like that and, and such an exhilarating performance like Zion and RJ put on is just as good. Yeah, I think even just Zion in particular – you know, we knew he was a freak athlete. We knew he could handle. We knew he could pass. We knew he could do all those things. But just to do it on that stage with so many GMs in the crowd, you know, packed house in Indianapolis, everyone's watching on TV, um, that emphatically just to show up with no fear. To, I mean, we watched him in warm-ups, and he was having trouble hitting the rim with consistency at times. And then the kid just comes in and, and bangs the contested wing three and then hits a pull-up jumper like – I mean, it was just remarkable from a mental standpoint to come out and, and just dominate them the way he did. R.J. Barrett, talking to his father, Rowan, who 
really put him in a lot of very competitive situations all through his childhood and into Duke. Like you guys, I had seen him at the Hoop Summit in Portland last year, right? It was the year, year before, two years ago. He was 16 there, and obviously he's played a lot for the Canadian national team. That's been a very competitive in their age group. They've been really good. I think they beat a John Calipari U.S. team a few years ago when Calipari was coaching them. But the one thing you like about Barrett is, and, and I think it's been by design with his dad who played, I remember covering his dad at St. John's when he played there. He's not a kid who's just been barnstorming and playing randomly. There's really been a design, and you can see that now in how complete his game is, and like you said, Jonathan, how much he's improved, the jump shots improved, and again, just how competitive he is, because that's what separates guys, and he has that, and I think that's, you know, that's going to translate real well, you know, to the NBA. You're going to hear a lot of people saying, oh, how is he different than Andrew Wiggins, just because both of them are wing players that are from Canada, but that is really what separates <laughs> he, he them. He actually likes to play basketball. That's where that starts. Exactly. Right? You see him coming out of the locker room at halftime. There was uh, a great video that someone posted on Twitter, and literally, like, there's fire coming out of his mouth. I mean, he is just so locked in. He's laser-focused. This guy comes out to kill every single time he's he's on the floor, and sometimes that leads to some bad shots or whatever, but you just love that NBA teams. They love that about him because he's got, he's so confident in himself and he's so competitive on both ends of the floor. And, uh, and you could see how much, um, his teammates kind of rally around him. And so, I mean, and then he's got, you know, his prototypical size. He's extremely athletic. Um, he's improved his shooting tremendously and he can also really pass and he can guard. So he's a complete wing player. And, uh, you know, that's what the NBA game is built around. And so that's why it's going to be so interesting to kind of monitor the two of them. And also Cam Reddish, who we haven't mentioned yet, who is, you know, a number one candidate in his own right. The three of those guys, uh, you know, competing for that top spot, it's something that we've never seen before. And it's going to be really fun to watch all year. That will be interesting to me is, is does that impact that team? If there was probably the right coach to be able to handle that within his group, it's probably Mike Krzyzewski. He's very good at getting guys to play together, play for a common cause. You know, that's, I remember talking to Grant Hill this summer about what separated Krzyzewski when he thinks back. And he said, like, you know, tactically we were fine. Like, accidental wise, he's great. And there's lots of guys accidental wise who are excellent, but he always thought what separated Krzyzewski is his ability to get guys to play together and pursue a common goal and probably easier on a team where guys, they're so competitive, they want to win. Probably being number one in the draft is important, but it doesn't feel like a group that this is going to become a big issue. They, they seem mature beyond their years. They seem to care about the right things, but maybe it's human nature. We, but you're right, Jonathan, we've never seen anything like it. I think it's a perfect fit just with the three personalities, really, because Cam Reddish, like like John said, is is really a number one type of talent. But the reason he's not number one on our board is because he's happy to sit back. You know, he he's happy to be Robin to Batman. He he has no issue with that. Um, and I think teams would maybe want to see a little bit more dog in him. But for this season in particular, that's why it's going to work. And then you have Zion, who he's happy to dive on the floor for loose balls. He's happy to rebound everything and push and make others better. He He's okay. He doesn't need 20 shots uh, to be effective. So then they can say, Hey, RJ, go, go get us a bucket, do what you do. You're wired to score. 
Um, so I just think those three personalities really, really fit well. Is this going to be a year with a draft where whoever gets number one is going to really labor over the choice that they're going to spend? They're going to end up spending a lot of time trying to split hairs among these guys, or can you imagine Barrett Williamson becoming a clear cut by the end of the season? If Zion plays the way he did on Tuesday all season long, then he's the number one pick in the draft. I just don't know that that's realistic expectations wise because he played a perfect game. And, and I don't, you know, like I think what we saw in the warmups, both of us in terms of him airballing shot after shot, you know, really struggling to get one to go, period. I think that that's closer to reality than what we saw in the game of him hitting, you know, a corner three and then making, uh, you know, that pull up off the crossover. I mean, so maybe I'm wrong and maybe Zion will shoot 40% for three. That would shock me based on, you know, his track record and everything that we've seen and just his shooting mechanics in general. So if that is the case, if he really is going to be up and down, which I think he will be because he's, you know, he's 18, he's a real 18 and he's a young 18 too, just like RJ. I do think that they're both going to have games where they make a really emphatic case for themselves. And, and I think Reddish will too. I think if Reddish gets to play a little bit more on the ball, I mean, which to me, that's where his value is. He, in high school, we saw him playing a lot of point guard as well as an AAU. He's six, nine. I mean, he's, tall enough, long enough to play power forward. He's got the type of body where he can put a body on fours, but really his skill set where he's at, at his best with the ball in his hand. So I think we're going to go back and forth on it all year. Uh, and, um, you know, I think every team will kind of see it differently too. Um, you know, unless, unless, like I said, like, unless Zion plays like he did on Tuesday, and then to me it's probably going to be a wrap. I mean, uh, <laughs> that, was, that was incredible. Yeah, I, I think if he plays anywhere near that, just, he can just do some things that, people in this world cannot do you know no one in the nba can really do and and not just the dunks but i think his ability to handle and play low to the ground and even without a jump shot um you know like we've kind of seen with ben simmons right like during that his his first year um he's a guy who's not a threat to shoot but he's so big and he's so shifty with the ball that he just got where everyone on the floor and i think with zion you you have a guy with 280 pounds who can do that um and it's going to be really difficult so it's hard not to leave that last game thinking this guy really might end up being the number one pick. I love the freedom that he's getting, too. I mean, seeing Coach mm-hmm. K put the ball in his hands, almost use him as like a point forward, letting him, you know, uh, spread the floor out, go one-on-one. I mean, that, that that's the NBA game right there. And there are a lot of coaches, honestly, who would put Zion in a little bit more of a compact box and say, you know, this is what you are, this is what you aren't. But, you know, I think Coach K's experience – with USA Basketball, coaching all those great players has kind of given him the freedom to say, okay, go do your things on, you know, I mean, go show us what you have. And, um, and I think that's, that's one of the really fun parts for us is watching him all year long and just seeing that evolution because he's going to get better, uh, you know, and he's going to, the competition obviously is going to be a little bit more difficult at times. Um, you know, Kentucky could not have played any worse and teams are going to do a better job of learning how to take away some of the things that he does. And, and that'll, you know, that'll force him to adjust. And so I'm keeping a really open mind about it. Um, you know, 
I'm going into every game saying, hey, you know, let, let's just see what they have. Because once you, you kind of lock into one thing and say, okay, this is what I think. I'm anchored to that. I'm not going to change my mind. And that's where mistakes are made. And so mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm open-minded to all three of those guys and as well as Nasir Little and Bull Bull and all these other guys. So uh, I think NBA teams are going to approach it the same way and say that it's going to be a long season and we're going to see a lot of things and just, let's just watch and study and learn and, and try to project out as best as we can. These guys, these three really fit into, the three Duke stars fit into how the NBA game's evolving, how it's changed. Your top 40, ESPN's top 40 list of potential draft prospects right now, there's only one seven-footer in your top 40. I mean, is the talent adjusting to how the NBA is playing, or is the NBA adjusted to the kind of kids that are coming through? Does, does that make sense? I think so. Um, you know, I mean, take a guy like Charles Bassey, right? This is a guy who is highly touted and, you know, is, is, has size and strength and, and length. And, you know, we could talk about how good he really is. But this is a guy who maybe five, six years ago would be in our top five, our top ten, you know. Um, and he's, he's nowhere near that. Uh, he's at, I think, around 20 right now. And that's probably more realistic, maybe even a little high. Um, and so really, like you said, well, Bull Bull is, is really the only seven-footer. And even he, this is a guy who steps out and shoots threes. Bull Bull is at Oregon. Right. right. Manute's son. Manute's son. Yeah, really, really unique player um, who, you know, steps out and shoots threes and can handle and, you know, protects the rim. So I think that for all the, you know, we talk about, okay, maybe this is in the deepest draft. I think that this draft is much more modern, um, especially compared to last year with, with all those bigs at the top. Was Manute the first stretch five? Was he the first? Well, he was the first seven, seven guy to do anything, first seven, six <laughs> guy who did anything. But he did remember Don Nelson had him out shooting threes. That was, uh, I don't know if there were any seven footers doing that when he did it. Was, it was treated like a novelty. But it was, in fact, my first college basketball game I ever saw was a friend of mine's father took us to see. University of Bridgeport against Central Connecticut when Manute was at Bridgeport. And um, I saw Manute go for 30, 10, and 10. 30 points, 10 rebounds, 10 blocks. Whew. I guess like a 6-5 center it was. But it's, yeah, it's amazing to see his son. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is sponsored by 23andMe. 23andMe is a DNA testing service that can offer insights into your ancestry, health, wellness, and traits. The 23andMe Health Plus Ancestry Service includes reports on how your DNA can influence your weight, sleep quality, caffeine intake, sense of taste, and whether you are likely to be lactose intolerant and a lot more. And it's easy to do. You simply spit into the tube provided in your 23andMe kit and mail your saliva sample back to the lab to be analyzed. The Deep Sleep Report tells you if you're more likely to be an especially deep sleeper. The Sleep Movement Report tells you how much you're likely to move during your sleep based on your DNA. The Saturated Fat and Weight Report tells you, based on your genetics, how your weight might be affected by saturated fats in your diet and offers tips on which foods to watch out for if you're trying to eat less saturated fat. The Lactose Intolerance Report sheds insights into how your genetics may affect your ability to digest dairy products. Order your 23andMe Health Plus Ancestry Service Kit at 23andMe.com slash Woj. That's the number 23andme.com slash Woj, W-O-J. Right now, guys, the 2019 draft class, what's it heavy on? Where's it weak? How's the league looking 
at it right now in, in comparison to other years? I think it's really heavy on wings and, and combo guards and guys who can handle, uh, who are versatile, who can switch, who have length. Um, shooting is obviously at a huge premium, and, and, and that's where it's at its best is in that, that two through four range, um, guys who can who can do a little bit of everything. I mean, that's the modern NBA game right now. Um, where it's really light is um, at the point guard spot. Uh, we only have um, one point guard in our lottery right now, and that's Darius Garland. Um, there's a couple other guys that we're tracking, but, um, you know, that's going to be interesting to see where do those point guards come up because there's a lot of te- there are a lot of teams in the NBA actually who could use a point guard and who are really bad. And so, um, I'll be curious to see kind of where those guys come from as the, as the year moves on. But, um, but yeah, length, versatility, um, you know, those modern wings, um, the forwards, um, the three point shooting, that's where this draft is really good. But, uh, yeah, the, the point guards, we, we need to see some emerge and, uh, and centers, there's, it really depends on how you, how you define a center these days, but, um, uh, there, there's not a lot of, of true centers out there either. And it seems like kind of a top four in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? With, you know, RJ, Nasir Little, Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish. And then, you know, there you have four guys who you think are, you know, potential NBA all-star types. Um, and then you're getting into, you know, the Quentin Grimes and Keldon Johnsons and who, you know, who could very well become that, but, um, you know, maybe look more like, uh, you know, high floor type of NBA starters who, who fit, uh, fit today's game. But, um, yeah, I think John's right about the point guards. But the one, the kid we do have at the top, Darius Garland from from Vanderbilt, I think, um, is going to uh, is going to really impress this year. Not not quite Trey Young. Uh, it's crazy to say that, but um, he's going to have a lot of freedom there, and, and he's really really skilled. The rookie class. You, we spent so much time talking last year about the impact Luka Doncic might be able to make in the NBA. He's done that in Dallas. They really play through him now and. Trey Young's been good. He's been good in Atlanta. For you guys who, who saw Doncic outside of probably maybe a handful of NBA executives, I think you two saw Luca play as much as anybody did. Has anything surprised you about how quickly he's impacted the league? Not really on my end. I mean, you know, I had him number one on my board. Uh, I was very surprised at the backlash throughout the pre-draft process about you know, not just from fans, which you kind of expect be, uh, because there's this kind of baked in, you know, xenophobia when it comes to the casual fan and, and, and international draft prospects, but also from NBA guys who were really, you know, kind of saying, oh, you know, what, what is the big deal? And, um, is he, is he too slow? Who is he going to guard? And I was shocked by that, you know, because I, this is, I've been doing this for 15 years. I've never seen a Luka Doncic, and I think it'll be another 15 years until we see another guy like him who, you know, is 18 years old and has the kind of impact he does at the international level. So I was a little bit disappointed at kind of the way that you know, some really good teams, I mean, it's not just Sacramento, you know, it, it's not who, who, who couldn't see how special he was. It was also some really good ones that, I, you know, privately told me like, hey, we've got him seventh or eighth on our board. And just make sure that, you know, you know, like you're getting this right when you're going all in on this guy and telling everybody how, you know, he's this game changer, number one prospect. And so I, I think it's too early to do a victory lap, but, you know, he's averaging 25 and five. It's pretty obvious that he's going to be good and he's only going to get better. I mean, we still need to see that, you know, translate to the win column a little bit more, but it's not totally just reliant on him, but it's obvious that, that he's really, really good. Yeah, I think teams 
you know, they ha- had enough opportunities to nitpick him. I mean, we've seen this in the past with guys, you know, sometimes hiding away helps your draft stock. Uh, maybe it doesn't help you as a player, but it helps your draft stock a little bit. And, and when you play, you know, 70 games in a season um, and you're really a focal point on one of the best teams in Europe, that's an opportunity to, for people to poke holes in your game. I, you know, I wonder if he would have shut it down after doing what he did against Porzingis and, and they, you know, they win the Euro basket. If he shuts it down, then is he the number one pick? Um, I, I think that's, you know, an interesting thought exercise, but, uh, hasn't really surprised me. I think the question with Luca was always, wasn't what is his immediate impact going to be? We knew he has had success at a high level at a young age. It was more so, what is he going to be five years from now? Um, is he going to be a slightly better version of this? Is he going to be a way better version of this? Um, you know, I think that's kind of what we're still waiting to see. I do think that part of the skepticism around Luca is just how good the rest of this class is it's like watching these mm-hmm. guys every night it's like holy cow you know like you really couldn't have got it wrong with deandre ayton with jaron jackson with trey young who's been phenomenal with wendell carter mm-hmm. marvin bagley has, has had his moments too he's been really productive he's putting up numbers um shea gilgis alexander all the way in the back end of the lottery no question the clippers yep. yeah yeah so it's um it we we thought it was going to be a really good draft and we were really high on it we were very excited but you know these guys have not disappointed yeah, one it, bit it's Com- uncommon to have the, i mean we're still we're not even to thanksgiving yet and you're seeing rookies who you know, in Chicago, I mean, they want Wendell Carter to play, and he has shown, you know, he's going to be a very good player for them. And the one guy you mentioned, Jaron Jackson in Memphis, who with the injury to Jamichael Green has moved into the starting lineup. He's been tremendous. They've got a winning record with the Grizzlies, and he has been – there were plenty of people, some who tried to get up to draft him at four, and they couldn't get that pick from – Memphis, who thought he had the potential to be the best player in the draft over, you know, we looked three or four or five years down the road. And the one thing a lot of them said was, you may not see that in year one or two. He's young and he's still developing and you have seen it. And I, and I think Jackson has been, uh, for a Memphis team that uh, has not done well in the draft, to say the least, over the last several years. Now, they haven't been up that high either, but to get up that high get a player of his caliber. You know, he's a guy they're going to be able to build around beyond Gasol, Mike Connolly. And and uh, to me, he's been as, maybe not a surprise he, he's going to develop, but a surprise that, man, he's good right away. Yeah, it's hard to find bigs who can, who can switch block shots and make threes. You know, that's kind of what teams are looking for at that spot. Um, and even, you know, outside of Jaron, like, like Landry Shamit, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's Philadelphia. had a huge impact for Philadelphia. Just fit kind of as a mini J.J. Redick for them, just plug him in. Josh Okoji, you know, who's played huge minutes uh, for Minnesota and with everything going on there and has provided great energy. Even a guy like Bruce Brown, a second-round pick, who started NBA games already, you know. so Right. And if, um, and if Brown doesn't get injured at Miami and plays the season, he's a first-round pick. Yeah, I think after that Adidas Nations, after, you know, his freshman season, he had a lot of buzz and uh, just didn't shoot the ball well. But – you know, we always get in in a mode of, oh, it's a 15-person draft or a 10-person draft or there's no value after, you know, 20. And I think time and time again we see that, um, you know, whether it's based on a situational fit or uh, a guy goes lower than he should because of an injury red flag, you know, there there are always guys. And uh, I, I think it's it's naive to say sometimes that, oh, they're, you know, it's a four-person draft. 
Today's episode of the Woj Pod is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. There are job sites that send you tons of the wrong resumes to sort through. That's not smart. You know what else is not smart? Using your relatives to fill in at work while you're looking for staff. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates and you get them fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj, W-O-J. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I had reported maybe a couple weeks ago that the league and unions negotiations on ending one and done were stalled largely based on the conversation the sides are having about what would come with changing the rule and what the NBA wants is for the union and the agents to agree to, you know, essentially legislation that would force the agents to have to give up medical information to every team, not be able to select who can see a player's information, his data, and who can't. And then also some stipulations on how the combines run players having to show up at the combine. I don't think... I think this deal would have already been done, and I think both sides believe this. It would have already been done if it was only a compromise on participation on some level in the combine. The, the commissioner's office is not going to try to make everybody play five-on-five. Five. They're not trying to do that, but I think they want everybody to show up. They want them to go through some level of interviews with teams that are in their range, draft range, or you know, submit to you know measurements, things like that. And that I think there's a place where the union would agree to that. But where the union has stood by the agents anyway on this so far is the agents feel like that they feel the only control they have in the draft process is controlling medical information, controlling who can get access to their players pre-draft so that they can try to show some value to their potential clients and steer them not always towards somewhere they'd want to go, but in most cases steer them away from places they don't want to go. And, you know, it's funny. It used to be more about big market, small market. I want to try to get my player to New York or L.A. or Chicago. It really isn't that anymore uh, in some cases. I mean, LeVar Ball wanted his son. He wanted Lonzo with the Lakers, and they didn't have to do much to get him at two. But for the most part, you're seeing with the agencies, they don't – there's certain organizations that they – worry about their players, they worry about their development, they worry about the dysfunction, they worry about the instability of those organizations and feel like it is not a place where their guy's going to grow, have the best chance at a good career. And while team can draft you if they want to, you can't stop a team from drafting you, you can make it really difficult. And right now that's keeping these talks from you know, getting one and done out and, and allowing the high school players back in in 2022. The way you guys have seen it here in recent years, we saw it in this draft. There's more than one team in the lottery who I think some agents were trying to keep away from. And 
that's going to happen. And barring the union caving to the league on this one, my sense is the league's going to have to come off of this one or one and done just stays. Well, one and done staying is not not really a threat to the NBA executives and the teams that you talk to. And so I, I'm, I'm a little bit confused by the stance that the league took on this in terms of, you know, coming out and saying in press conferences emphatically that, you know, the one and done is going away. Uh, and, and now they go to the union and they say, okay, let's negotiate on this. And the union, they say, well, we already know your position. Uh, what, are, what is there to negotiate about? I mean, why are we going to give up, um, you know, players, private medical records? Um, and, and, and I understand, you know, where I get where they're coming from on this because there is such a gap in the NBA between the best run organizations and the worst ones. And, and that can often be the difference between a player having a successful career or not. You know, you look at a lot of the guys who their options weren't picked up, you know, the, the third and fourth year of the rookie scale contract, guys like Dragon Bender, like Marquise Chris, you know, what would have happened to those guys had they gone to better organizations? You know, I mean, I, we always talk about, you know, privately in the NBA, people wonder, well, what would have happened if Jan Vesely got drafted by the San Antonio Spurs and Kawhi Leonard or went to Washington or something like that, you know? You know what would have definitely happened? Kawhi Leonard probably still wouldn't be able to shoot. Right. Because if he doesn't go to San Antonio, if he doesn't get with Chip England, they remade his shot. They remade Richard Jefferson's shot later in his career, allowed Richard Jefferson probably to stay in the league longer. But Kawhi is a perfect example of that he doesn't become the offensive player or it takes a lot longer for him to become the offensive player he has if he's not in that organization and they have you know one of you know maybe the most respected shooting coaches in the world transforming his offensive game right and then you if you look at like Chris's teammate at Washington in the same draft DeJounte Murray you know, people were really excited about him going into this year. I mean, he looked like a real cornerstone for the Spurs. They yep. drafted him in the late first round, uh, whereas Chris has now been discarded completely. He was drafted number eight, and so he's going to be an unrestricted free agent next year. And so I under, understand 100% where the agents are coming from on this. And, you know, they have such little control over so many aspects of their players' careers, this is one that they actually do control. And why are they going to give up on it? Because, you know, it's, it's private medical records. And, you know, if, if I don't want people to see that, I mean, do your own research, honestly, you know, and um, if you don't like it, don't draft me. And so I, I, I get where they're coming from. And um, and I would be shocked if they if they really conceded that point. And, you know, because the problem is that, like, this stuff gets out there, you know, and 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 and, and it hurts players' careers. And so, um, you know, I, I we we did a whole thing this week on um, on on medical records and 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 how how important actually should they even be? You know, we talked about um, scouting misses, things that you know that we got wrong, and uh, and Karis Levert was was one of them. You know, he was drafted twentieth, but if he, if he didn't go twentieth to to Brooklyn. He probably goes deep in the second round. Uh, you know, I saw his agent. On, I was on a plane with him yesterday, and he was telling me that you know he had teams were calling him about stashing Karis Levert in Europe for a year or two. You know, I mean that's that's where. So, and I don't know if the league has modernized enough with how much better doctors are, how much better medical staffs are, and you know it's not as much of a concern now for a guy to be medically red flagged as as it once was, and so. Um, you know, you look at some of the biggest steals in the NBA, the guys like 
CJ McCollum and, and Joel Embiid. And I mean, there's a, there's just a, such a long list of guys. And, um, so that's why I don't even know if they, they really need, you know, the, those medical records as much as in the past, because it's not, it's just, you know, you rarely see a guy unable to get his career off the ground because of medical concerns. Yeah. We saw it with Brogdon too. We've seen, you know, John, I think hit the nail on the head just in terms of um, the, the medical stuff. And then the uh, situational fit is just huge. I mean, that's something we harp on it time and time again, but I still don't feel like, you know, it's enough. I mean, people want to do a a redraft after five minutes every single year. And, uh, you know, we're dealing with 19, 20 year old kids who are all in different situations. So, uh, I do think you know giving up that that leverage would be really tough. Yeah, and I and I think it becomes for the league. If this was about agents, if this was about trying to steer guys to big versus small markets, that's something that's got to be alarming for the league. Because you know within the league, they'll always say to you, "We're a league of small markets. Most of them are small markets." But a lot of this gets back to the kind of ownership groups they have in the league how owners run their organizations, how front offices run, the hiring they do, where they're responsible for, in many of the instances, I think the league, and I think they know this, they've got to look in the mirror and say, we need our owners, either we need better owners in some cases, or we need our owners to be, become more educated, less impulsive, less reactive, and run better organizations. Because Listen, there are plenty of agents who want to get their players to, you know, hypothetically in an Oklahoma City, a Portland, a San Antonio, a Utah. You know, Brooklyn's a big market, but they've seen – we talk about Karis LeVert. People have seen them get young players better, and that's the issue at hand, and I think that's more of an NBA issue of, you know, like certain places are – they're losing, they're run poorly – it happens over and over. They're in and out of the lottery a lot. And I think it's more reflective of, you know, really to me, it, it almost always starts with ownership. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the way this whole thing plays out. And and I wonder if the compromise that they end up reaching has something to do with the G League. You know, we reported this mm-hmm. new initiative, the professional path, select prospects. And um, I, I do think that, NBA teams would would much rather see players for a year in a different environment, not the NBA, as 18-year-olds. And, you know, because there's so much that you can learn at, the, at that stage. And the transition from high school to college or to, to pro ranks is so is so big. And so I, I think that um, there is a lot more we're still going to hear about this, about which direction this goes. I think with the one and done, I mean, you know, with – college you know you can make an argument for either side but nba scouts have a have a good setup you know you go to your pro day you go to you know you go to these nice arenas and and uh, you know with good facilities and and it's it's really a, a solid sample size i think of you know 35 games where you get to see this kid grow and develop and um and see them against you know prospects their age and and so I, I think it's a, it, it makes sense from an evaluation standpoint for the scouts. I don't, I don't know how badly they want to see that go and, and get, kind of get back to the wild, wild west. Support for the Woj Pod comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. 
That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Woj, equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. I don't sense on either side in the rank and file of front office executives and the Players Association, I don't sense a great appetite for ending one and done, for allowing high school players back in the draft. There's two separate issues here. There's an issue that people make of fairness. Is it fair? That's one. But as a business, I think the players, they will publicly tell you, uh, even players in leadership and the Players Association, it's the right thing. Everybody hates the college system. Everybody hates the exploitation. That's one issue. But deep down, if you're in the Players Association and you're just a, you're a journeyman, you're a fringe player, you're a pretty good player in the league, high school players coming in are going to cost jobs of veteran guys because they're going to get drafted high. They're going to take roster spots. They're, they're going to be in the NBA. Now, they may go back and forth in the G League, some of them early, but they're still taking a roster spot. And I think most guys, they'll tell you, looking back, I wasn't ready coming out. They'll all say that I wasn't ready. Like there's Kobe and there's LeBron James and there's Kevin Garnett and there's there's been lots of exceptions. Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett might be exceptions to that too. There's no question they could play in the NBA today. But I think deep down that you don't – I don't sense anyway. A lot of people dying for the rule to change, but Adam Silver wants it to change. And so if they're willing to find a way to negotiate with the association on this, it, it, it will change. I mean, just the college is what needs to change. Uh, they need to let these players profit off their likeness. They need to be able to be fairly compensated. And I don't think there's any argument from any of us about, That's right. about that fact is that these players do, they're generating a ridiculous amount of money. I was watching, I was in Indianapolis on Tuesday watching this game thinking, first of all, how great is this? I mean, wow, it's a, it's an NBA arena. It's packed. Um, it's a, and these players are, are, they're getting better right here before our eyes. This is how players improve. But it's, to me, it's a little bit messed up. Zion Williamson is going to be generating tens of millions of dollars for the NCAA, if not hundreds of millions. You know, if you look at the, 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 the length of the TV deal, we're talking on over a billion. These guys, he deserves to get some money. And for people to kind of smear his name through the mud, the way that happened with this FBI trial, you know, his stepdad asking for an apartment or, or I don't even know what it was. I mean, does Zion Williamson's parents, do they not deserve an apartment considering the amount of money that, that he's going to be generating? So in that regard, I completely agree that extremely unfair uh, the, what, what the NCAA is doing. But I, do, I think that that's where the change needs to come from. Right. And it, and it always gets back to this. And you saw it with this commission that they put together. The NCAA wants everybody else to change 
their rules, how it works, so they don't have to change. They want the G League structure. They want the end the one and done. They want everyone else in the basketball world to change how they do business so that they don't have to change. That's what all this gets back to. Yeah, so they can keep all the money for themselves. That's That's all that it is. Right. If they would allow these guys to profit off their likeness, and then I think college basketball as a system could could absolutely work. I mean, like John said, the atmosphere at those games was just ridiculous. You know, something you don't even always get an NBA game. Um, And so I, I think it can work, but it's about compensating these kids fairly. You guys mentioned college basketball, the college basketball season starting this week. Both you, Jonathan, and Mike, you'll be on the road a great deal. Where's the NBA going to be for the next month, six weeks? Where are you guys scouting? What does it look like on the trail here in the near future? So Schmitz and I, we try to kind of split this up, uh, East Coast, West Coast. I live in Brooklyn. He lives in Los Angeles, and there's so much going on throughout the year. We're not, you know, NBA front offices have you know, four to eight people out on the road at any given moment. And so we're trying to cover as much ground as possible. On Monday, I'm headed to Chapel Hill. I'm going to see Stanford at UNC. Then I'm headed to Philadelphia for two nights. I'll, I'll see Temple, Georgia, Michigan, Villanova. And then there's a couple of games here in uh, in, in New York. Uh, we've got uh, Oregon here, uh, Bowl Bowl. Um, I'll be in uh, out in uh, New Haven for the National Prep Showcase. Going to get another look at Jalen LeCue, a high school player, fifth-year guy who might be in this draft. Um, um, so, yeah, there's um, – I'll, I'll be at the um, Advocare the, you know, in Orlando and um, nice little stretch uh, with uh, Alabama, Murray State, Indiana, Duke, Virginia, Maryland towards the end of the year. Um, Schmitz uh, got the, um, the the plush assignment. He's headed to Maui uh, over Thanksgiving. Uh, Schmitz, what does your schedule look like? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I snagged that one, but um, I think the nice direct flight, flight from L.A. helped me out there. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm, uh, this is one of my favorite times of year because it's not just looking at the big names, um, but it's also you find random 